listeners, and welcome to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. The first time I heard today's guest sing, she was wearing a bikini on stage at the Berlin State Opera. I remember thinking, wow, the things the modern-day divas have to do, and good thing horn players aren't expected to do that. She doesn't only look amazing in a bikini, she is praised worldwide for her vocal beauty and abundant musicality. She is being hailed as one of the most promising young talents in opera today. And on her new album, called Made for Opera, she presents three of the strongest female roles of the 19th century, Violetta, Lucia and Juliette. I think she's made for opera. Nadine Sierra, congrats on your new album and welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. Thank hey. you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> the pleasure is all mine, except I have to tell the podcast audiences, I am feeling a little bit jealous seeing your background here on my screen. <laughs> it's incredibly exotic. Can you tell us where you are speaking to us from? Yes. So I am originally from Florida. I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So being in this setting is something I'm a little bit used to, but each time it brings a, a different kind of beauty every time I visit it. And now you're I'm You're trying in, to tell us you are in Florida. Yes, I'm in Palm Beach, Florida, which is a little bit more north of Fort Lauderdale from where I grew up. And I'm here because I am doing a concert. And it's, it's nice. It's nice that I get to be here working, be with family. And as you said, be in this lovely, beautiful setting. Yeah, the wonders of Instagram. You know, we do get to see your stories yes. and uh, and see where you are and these beautiful pictures. It's like, you know, when you someone you know and love is in a setting like that, you try and be happy for them if you're sitting in Berlin in the grey. <laughs> well, you're always invited. So let's say that. It's an open invitation. Come whenever you want. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful of to be travelling again, you know. You're, you're, yeah. you're, you're going to be in Berlin and you're in France and it's great to follow you and all that. It's great that you're home in, in Florida. So that's great that that's opened up. But I have the first question, of course, that I have for you about your new album. Why are you made for opera? Oof, very good question. I think I was made for opera literally from the moment I was born. It's a family thing. My grandmother on my mother's side, who was born and raised in Portugal, had always wanted to become an opera singer. She had this beautiful voice, could sing very, very well. And she told her father, my great-grandfather, about her dreams and her goals. And he absolutely rejected her. He told her, no, you cannot do that. You cannot become an opera singer. And in fact, as a young woman and a well-bred young woman, you cannot have any kind of working career. You have to be a housewife. You have to have children. That is your role in life. So my grandmother was never given the opportunity. And my mother, since she was an only child, she was raised by her mother very closely. And she saw that my grandmother kind of always lived with this regret of never having had lived out this dream. And my grandmother would always sing, you know, singing and music, it, it didn't just disappear because she was rejected by, by her father. So my mother heard that as well as she was growing up. And when I was born, I started to show very early signs, let's say around four, five, six years old, that 
I too was somehow addicted to music. Any music that I heard, anything that that really caught my ear or caught my heart, I couldn't stop singing it. I couldn't stop repeating it. And my mom thought, well, let me try to give her voice lessons. I'll give her the opportunity to have lessons, one lesson per week, as long as she practices every day for an hour every day. And let's see what happens. So my mother, I guess from the, just watching her mother with this, this feeling of regret and this feeling of never having tread a path that was, was just at her fingertips but could never quite grasp, she gave me then the opportunity to, to go down that path and discover what that path is and where that path eventually would lead. So I was made for opera in a sense because of this story and being given the opportunity to live out the story that could never be told in the in the past. But you could have been a pop singer, you know, you could have been a musical star. Why was it opera that got you interested? It was opera because first, okay, when I started taking lessons at six, I was looking at other genres of music. I was looking at musical theater. I was looking at pop, as you say. Who did you want to sing like? Okay. I always wanted to sing like Whitney Houston. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) But I could never accomplish this because I just never had that facility in the voice to like belt and I can't belt. Even today, My, my dear, I you can't. have other facilities. Anyone yes, who yes. knows you and has listened to you, you have the most incredible facilities. And I think if Whitney had heard you sing, she would say, well, you know. But belting, Maybe. I know what you mean. Belting, yeah. is, that's Whitney could really do that, couldn't she? Oh, and, and so effortlessly. And that's just something that I could never do. But not just not having the facility to do something like that, but also... I couldn't really connect to pop or musical theater. And my mom witnessed that. And I, you know, would tell her, you know, I like this music, but it's not somehow, I I don't feel very close to it. That's unusual, though, at a young age, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a little strange. It is. And she, she thought so, too. And she also thought, even when I was so young, she thought it was very odd that my voice, too, was not really a voice that kind of fit a six-year-old. My voice had, as she says, a more bell-like quality to it. It sounded already kind of operatic. And it gave her the idea, along with my grandmother wanting to, to be an opera singer, it gave her the idea when I was 10 years old to introduce me finally to opera. And this is the moment where Made for Opera really came into existence. She was right. I fell in love with it. I became addicted to opera from then on. And I told her, I have to become an opera singer. How can we do this? You know, how how can I accomplish this? And she said, you have to work hard. You have to dedicate yourself. And and she warned me. She's like, you'll probably have to sacrifice a few things in your life, too, leading like up to what? it. But, what did she say? Well, she said that I'll probably have to sacrifice a lot of, like, free time or fun time. And it was true when I was a kid. Already at six, I was sacrificing, you know, let's say a few hours in the day every day. I was sacrificing those hours for, you know, singing and for studying and for practicing rather than going out with my friends, going to the mall, going to movies. 
and and essentially being like a full-time kid. I was not a full-time kid. I was a, a part-time kid, <laughs> which was okay. I It was something I wanted. It wasn't something, thankfully, that my parents pushed me to do. It's very so, okay. Look where you are today. Yeah. You're made for yeah. opera. And they yeah, made you for it, opera. Yes. <laughs> so who did really, you want to... It really helped If me. you wanted to be Whitney Houston, then when we, you, we were 10 and fell in love with opera, who did you want to be then? Then I wanted to be Teresa Stratus because she was the first soprano that I was introduced to from this VHS tape that my mother played when I was 10 years old of Puccini's La Boheme from the Met. And she was playing Mimi. And I just, I absolutely fell in love with her. Not just because she's she was such a great singer, but also because she was such a great actress as well. I, I couldn't believe that someone could convey such real and heartfelt emotions and yet at the same time sing in such a way that I, I understood even at such a young age that is incredibly difficult. And with no microphone, trying to sing over the orchestra, it's at the Met. The stage I knew at that time was humongous. And I, I just thought, I thought she was a superhero. Well, she really. was. <laughs> yeah, she really was. Absolutely, absolutely superhuman. So Teresa Stratus was, was that, it for That's me. also hard as a, te- as a teenager, a 10-year-old, a young kid, you know, because everyone else has pop heroes or sports heroes. Yeah. And I remember being, uh, you know, with a, a horn player. I started at 14. That was quite late. And I just wanted to be a horn player. I didn't want to be anything yeah. else. But the kids thought that was weird. You know, but, I, you know, you oh, stick to yes. it. And as soon as you found my, my savior was when I found the youth orchestra and, and I was with other kids that wanted the same as me. But, but singers are more solitary. I found the orchestra. That was my way. That was all I wanted to do. I wanted to be part of a team. But the, yeah. the, the path of an opera diva, and I mean diva with, with love and respect, not diva in the form of, yeah, you know, I understand. Ha, is really quite a lonely one. It is. And we have this in common then, because when I was a kid too, I was bullied for liking opera. I was rejected in certain friend groups because I, I liked opera and kids would say, why do you like that? You know, they're screaming or that's only for old people. And I, I didn't know how to explain it to kids. You know, I didn't know how to how to word it because I was essentially only a child. But honestly, my love for it was so strong that despite being bullied, despite being rejected and not having maybe as many friends as I would have had if I wasn't studying opera, which sounds absolutely ridiculous... I stuck to it. I didn't care at the end of the day. I was supported by my parents. I was supported by my two sisters. And I was supported by my mentors when I when I was so young. Is that what you tell kids these days? If you could tell kids these days about why opera is not boring, why it's not for older people, why it's so amazing, would you have the words these days? Do you do you speak to kids about this? What would you say? All the time. All of the time. Yes. Nadine's getting a huge thumbs up for me in (laughs) grey Berlin. I'm so happy to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, I I can understand, you know, certain things in life because it's true. Certain things in life always carry its own stereotype, right? And I understand that opera has the stereotype. But I do try to spin that stereotype a little bit. I mean, I'm 33 years old. I've been interested in opera since I was 10. So let's say in the, in the common ideas of younger people, 
I'm considered quite young still in this in this industry and and to love opera still. And so I guess through my social medias, I try to show that opera is not just an event to go to. It's also a lifestyle. And that lifestyle can carry any age, any number. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your experiences in life are. It's it's an art form that can touch anyone and can kind of be transformative to anyone's life if you give it the chance. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I really I really think it's so important that these days that we try and, and reach out, especially to the younger audience who may think yeah. what we do is is meant for older people or for rich people. People think opera yes. is so expensive and they can't afford the tickets. But what they should know is that every great opera house in the world has amazing discounts for yes. for, for younger people. You know, we want you to come to the opera. And But I think for me, you're a fantastic spokeswoman for this because, you know, the Old, the divas of the last generation were sort of, you know, I remember certain wonderful divas that would just stand on stage and sing. But these days, as I mentioned in the introduction, and I'm sorry to keep going back to the bikini because you are a lot more than a bikini, my dear, but <laughs> you look amazing in a bikini. And for me, that's Thanks. also part of, of what a modern day diva has to do. You know, the directors expect all sorts of things from you, you know, and, yes, and you have to keep yeah. fit. You have to look yes. good. I mean, tell us about being a modern day diva. Well, I think, okay, let's say the expectations for singing at the highest level, that will always remain. That's timeless. And as it should be. I mean, this is, we are singing um, at the very highest level and difficulty of vocal performance. It just is what it is. As long as that remains... And you can keep developing with that. I think as a modern day opera singer, the rest is just like icing on the cake. And today, you know, it's nice to have a very decorative cake. Why not? I must say it's almost like it, it has to be because it's not enough yeah. these days just to, it, right. it, the music is obviously the most important of anything. But these right. days I feel, especially looking at opera singers, it's almost not enough to be just an amazing singer. You have to be, well, you have to be a good actor, an actress. You have to look good. You have to jump around, do acrobatics, <laughs> dance, uh, die, do all these things on stage. It's, it, it's yeah. not an, And also look great in your social media, tell everybody yeah. what you're doing all the time. It's hard work. It is hard work, and I would say that it adds a, a certain amount of, of pressure, especially added pressure. You know, we already have the pressure of, of needing to sing very well, but then, yes, you're right, the extra stuff, it does, it does add a, a certain amount of difficulty. But if you enjoy it, you know, if it's something you really enjoy, and in a way you're open-minded and don't mind putting yourself out there like I did in the bikini, as you talk about. Well, <laughs> um, it, you know what? It can, it can teach you a lot more about yourself as an artist and how deep you can actually get into the character, which essentially I think 
supports the music probably even more than it would if you were just, let's say, standing there and only focusing on the singing. Yeah. You never stand there. I've, I've watched stage no. performances of you and, and you're always in the character and you, you sing the most incredible coloraturas, the vocal acrobatics, oh, and you. you go up there and you hang onto those top notes until like the hair <laughs> standing on the back of my head, where's she going to get off there? You know, it's, it's, it's really incredible. And on your Thank new you. album, I must say, Made for Opera, you've chosen three of the strongest women there are, but they've also have three of the most difficult arias in the whole repertoire to sing. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But your voice is made for that. Why is that? Well, okay. I have studied for a long time. I've had some of the greatest mentors in my life, one of which he's been in my, in my life for now 21 years. I met him when I was 13 years old at the Palm Beach Opera. And actually, I I started working at the Opera House in Palm Beach when I was 14 years old to 18 years old, and I was part of the Opera Chorus. So being in that environment at such a young age and also getting the opportunity to work with my mentor every week. You're going to give him a shout out? Yeah, his name is Kamal Khan. Hello, Kamal. Kamal. Khan. Hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Kamal you know, I'll, I'll give him even more of a shout out. He was there with me during the recording of Made for Opera and coached me throughout the entire process of, of getting the album onto its feet. Thank God, because it's a wonderful thing as a singer to have somebody very near and dear to you whom you trust with your voice and, and with everything that you've studied. It's very important. And I think if I hadn't had that growing up at such a young age, I probably wouldn't have come out with an album like this. It probably wouldn't have been possible because A, I wouldn't have been able to sing that kind of repertoire. I wouldn't have been advanced enough or let's say developed enough. And, and B, probably artistically, I wouldn't have felt advanced enough to go there. But because of all of those things and, and that training made for opera was was possible and, and singing these three ladies was was possible. Do you have a favorite among the three? I mean, they're all pretty tragic, aren't they? They all yes. meet, meet horrible deaths. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that that essentially was kind of a, a, a part of why I chose the three of them for this album. They all coincide with also the story of my grandmother that, you know, women have had to, in history, we've had to play this role of kind of being submissive to our environment or our circumstances in life. And these three women, unfortunately, meet these ends because they didn't really have another choice. They weren't given that choice. And also My there were these terrible yeah. misunderstandings also there, yes, you know? Yes, absolutely. Oh, it was absolutely. so unnecessary that they die. Exactly. And they all, at the end, you know, at the end of their their fates, the the listener and the the viewer can walk away with a lesson from their story and from their tragedies, which is the greatest thing about about all three. And I'd say, currently, my favorite, I'd say now is Violetta. Now that I've gotten the chance to to really play her and delve into her character, and thankfully, I. I got that chance with Zubin Mehta. He was my, yeah, my debut in the role. And oh, that just, 
Isn't he great really? with singers? He's oh, just he's so the, he's the great. best. And he does everything by he does everything from memory. You know, he yes. sits there and and, yes. and any opera I mean, I did so many operas with him when I played at the Staatsoper. I wasn't yeah. in a bikini ever at the Staatsoper. <laughs> but I played many operas and Zubin okay. would just come on. He wouldn't even open the score. And I remember being quite yeah. nervous about that at the beginning, thinking, How can you conduct an opera without looking in the score? But he can. Yeah, he can. He's he's just He's this wonderful genius, but also, and I'm sure you'll you'll agree with me, he's also such a down-to-earth kind of person and very kind, very generous and compassionate and really a true leader. I think you need a mixture of that, the genius part, which can be so intimidating, right? But then on the other side, balancing that out with being very human and very kind because I had that, that combination, that perfect combination in him Singing Violetta for the first time, and may I dare say it, it felt easier. It felt easy almost. Well, which that, is that takes a genius weird. to do that, no? To make yeah. you feel so good. Because yeah. the, the, the singing part's really hard. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, we, we, <laughs> yes, sat, it is. we sat in the pit for many a traviata suffering with the soprano because she wasn't quite getting up there. But what sort of things did Zubin help you with? Did he give you any particular advice that you can share with young aspiring Violettas today? Absolutely. I'd say the first is pacing, pacing oneself. He was very good at keeping me more contained in the first part of her role so that I had somewhere to go for the more dramatic and more emotional parts. Because no matter what kind of technique you have, you could have the most perfect technique in the world, like Mariella de Villa. When you add in the emotions, the, the human side into your singing, it can affect the way that you uh, end up singing the role and it could tire you out as well. But he was very good at keeping me singing the role and, and performing the role in a very steady and progressive way, which I think for a role like this is very important. Um, and he also gave me his trust, which is also a very important thing, too. He would give me the chance to express the way I wanted to follow me a bit, but then take on the lead as well. So there was always this like balancing act that we would do together, which by the end, you know, you would you would think that any Violetta would be absolutely exhausted. But I felt like I could maybe sing the role one more time again if there were a beast, which is Pretty cool. That's, That's pretty cool. Great. That's pretty yeah. cool. It sounds absolutely amazing. Can I ask you something about dying on stage? Because yeah, sure. I've often, I've heard many a soprano <laughs> die on stage, not only vocally, but uh, no, I've been lucky to hear some amazing performances of, of yeah. Traviata, of Lucia and also uh, Juliet. Yeah. Um, but they all have to die. And a friend of mine who doesn't know much about opera said to me, uh, the opera singer, she always has to die at the end. And how does she keep singing? And why does it take so long? So <laughs> that's the only <laughs> unbelievable thing I find about opera is that someone who's on her last legs can sing such amazing arias. I mean, how how do you pace that? How Where do you look? Do you just go with it? I mean, it is, it, it's quite a sort of weird balance, isn't it? It definitely is a weird balance. I try all the time with any role that I encounter or sing, I try to like kind of go back in my own life experience so that I can convey whatever she's going through as realistically as possible. 
So when I was singing Violetta, I actually thought about the time when I had COVID. I had COVID the first time in uh, June, I think it was June 2020. Ouch, before and the I, vaccinations. Yes, ah. before I was vaccinated. And here's the thing about it. I remembered the ups and downs of what that felt like, how long it took for me to recover, how there were moments when I felt like I would never recover because I felt so down. And I also watched my mother have COVID uh, during the exact same period because we got it together. And she was sick for three weeks, but really sick. So I kind of thought about those moments and tried to put that feeling into this long death scene that Violetta does have, because there are moments where she feels absolutely weak, she's ready to give up, but then she has a burst or a surge of energy because she sees Alfredo again, and it's it's like you try not to lose hope, even if your body cannot go with you. It's the mind, essentially, that still has the energy or still wants to fight for life. And that's what I tried to put into Violetta, is that the mind and, and the love that she has for, for Alfredo is so strong that it, it could possibly allow her to live, but the body is so weak and so fragile that it's just not possible. So that's kind of how I tried to pace it and make it a little bit more believable, um, even though, yeah, the death is drawn out. So when you're recording the album and you haven't been through the entire opera, is it then easier to sing? It must be because you feel a bit fresher, but it's then harder to get the feeling, you know, that whole dramatic feeling going. You say it so correctly. That is so right. It's true because, yeah, when you have the costumes, when you have the set and you have the aria within its context, right? It's much, much easier to convey all of those emotions and, and the heartbreak and, and the personal emotions that, that one feels when you're, when you're performing a character to make them as believable as possible. And in a recording setting, you don't necessarily have that. You have the microphone very close to your face, which can be very intimidating because you want everything to sound perfect, right? But that's something I've learned through through recordings, you know, these different sessions. I've learned to be kind to myself, to be very patient with myself, and, and also to remind myself that what I'm singing should be expressive, not just sounding perfect. It's not the point of, of, of opera. It's conveying human emotions through music. And so... I tried to have fun with it when I was in the recording session and almost closed my eyes and put myself in that atmosphere just through my imagination alone. So, Tell yeah. me about the conductor. Tell me about Maestro Ricardo Frizza. Is that the right Fritza, word? Frizza, yes. Frizza, it's a wonderful name. And the Orchestra yes. Sinfonica Nazionale della Rai. Also a wonderful yes. orchestra. And you couldn't pick a better orchestra. You know, that you have know. to have an Italian orchestra for this repertoire. Of course, of course. <laughs> they were, okay. They were wonderful. I will say this. They were wonderful. They were incredibly supportive and willing to do, you know, however many takes it took. And were so complimentary, too. Sometimes you don't find that connection between singer and the orchestra. Yeah, we're scared of you. 
Well, and we're we're scared of you guys. I'm always I always try to be nice to the singers because I know so many singers have told me that said you know we feel so alienated and this, the orchestra yes. feels you know they they are so you know they want their peace and quiet their big stars will leave yes. them alone. So yes. okay, always but, be nice to the singers, everyone. Oh yes. Oh, and also be very nice to the orchestra because we're working together. You know, it's a true collaboration, and I think sometimes that inferiority complex is coming from the fact that many times when we sing operas or perform in operas, we're on the stage, we're slightly elevated from you guys and you guys are in the pit. So there's distance. There's somehow this like this almost detachment that we're having, but yet we're performing together. And in this setting with the Rai Orchestra in Torino, we were quite close together and I had the opportunity to talk to several of the orchestra members and we follow each other now on Instagram and through our like social medias, right? So we became a community in that in that setting. And also we were all going through, you know, a very similar thing, which is is just the reality of of the of the world at that time. It was October 2020 and we were going through Uh, I believe the second lockdown that Europe was experiencing, especially Italy, because they were, I think they were the first country to, to lock down for the second time. When I saw the date, I was wondering how you even managed yeah. to do it at all. Oh, we honestly, it was by sheer luck because the moment I landed in Torino, the very next day would have been the day we started recording That was the day where Europe decided as a whole to start kind of locking down, especially Italy. And I thought, oh, my God, is this going to even be possible? Do I have to go back to New York now? So I called, you know, my bosses at DG and I said, what are we doing? What's going to happen? And they said, you know what? Weirdly enough, they're allowing it to go through and the orchestra feels comfortable to proceed. So does Maestro. So let's do it. And we did. And we felt like while the world around us, because that's literally how it felt, was quiet and, you know, kind of in this lockdown period, we were still making music and we were able to do that together. And it just, oh, I have to tell you, felt so beautiful and it felt very therapeutic. And Maestro was also very good at keeping the energy very positive and very safe. You know, we all felt totally fine as long safe, as we were safe, happy yes <laughs> safe yeah. yes but there's a certain thing about italian opera that is not safe yeah. and that <laughs> those are the recitativos and yes. your and your album it's it's full of them and i'm so yes. happy to hear what you say about the orchestra and about this connection because i felt listening to it i could really sense that they carry you through these recitativos do you say recita recitativos what do you how do you say in recitativi yes. i do apologize yes. It sounds like some sort no, of aperitivo, recitativi. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, that's one thing I really picked up on. I mean, of course, hearing you yeah. sing the arias, it's incredibly beautiful. But having been an opera player myself, these things are mighty dangerous, you know. Yes. And you don't want to be the one to go bap just because the singers decided to take a, a bit of extra time. They carried you so well. It sounded yes. so effortless. And and hearing you describe the recording procedure, then, you know, it was really a team. It was really teamwork, wasn't yes, it? Yes, we were. We absolutely were. Because, you know, they knew that 
right after the recording would be over, they would all have to be in lockdown. This was probably going to be essentially the last thing that they would do for the remainder of 2020. So you got to kind of think like all of that love that these musicians have for what we do. This went into your album. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like this would this could possibly be the last time that they would have the chance to essentially perform. It was a it was a group of love, let's say, a group of love and music. That's so nice to hear. Life Aww. circumstances, yeah. So, a technical question: in these recitativi, yeah. was that right? Yes. Gosh, recitativi. A, yes. A recitativi. Perfect. So, in these thing, these parts, which are, are basically the introductions to the arias, which is very rubato, which means you know you, the the singer takes time and the orchestra and the maestro mm-hmm. try and catch them. Do you? Look at the conductor. Does he follow you? Do you all breathe together? How come? I mean, you can love a, a singer and still not manage to catch her in the in in, in these. It, it, they're dangerous moments. Did you rehearse this really well? Did the maestro just feel you breathe? Was he breathing with you? So Ricardo and I, thankfully, we've known each other and have worked together now for it must be close to ten years. So we've already developed this sense of trust musically. Thank God. With the orchestra, it was my first time collaborating with them. And we would, before recording any take, we would rehearse a little bit prior to recording. But um, you can't sing too much, of course. Because, no, you, know, you can't sing too no. much. But I, I, will, I will be honest with you. I think I sang six to seven hours per day. How is that possible? Recording. I thought singers can't do They have to take care of their voices. We we do. So necessar- <laughs> usually this is not a common thing that we do, but because of uh, the circumstances and the fact that we did have a time limit given to us literally by the government, we had to prevail. I had to prevail. And I thank God I had my vocal coach with me, Kamal, whom I mentioned before, because he really helped me every morning. He would help me warm up my voice, take care of my voice, make sure I wasn't overdoing it. And also Maestro too. Maestro made sure that, you know, with each take that we that we did, that that take really meant something, you know, that we could use it. And I love recording. I'm a weird singer. I love the recording process. I, yeah, I just, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't know why. I know most singers hate it because, you know, this idea of sounding perfect and not messing up. And and as you say with the recitativi, it can be, in that moment, it can be a little intimidating. You have a bunch of Italians in the room watching you and waiting for you. And I'm American and my first language is not Italian. But uh, I think I, I always try to focus on like the positives and the positive energy that's in the room. And the orchestra gave that to me. Maestro gave that to me. We We did develop a sense of trust amongst all of us. And that certainly helps for these things that could be sort of intimidating or scary. It helps these things have a a more positive and a nice outcome. Well, I love it. Made for Opera is just a wonderful album. You are amazing. What's coming up next? So next, I, I will be revisiting Lucia twice, which I'm so happy about in a row. I'm making my role debut in Munich. And I'm bringing Lucia with me, which is very exciting. Or Lucy, and as she's affectionately Lucy, known. Lucy, <laughs> yes. 
Thanks, Lucy. And then I'm bringing her again to the Metropolitan Opera. I love right that. I love that you that say debut. I'm bringing her to the Metropolitan. Yeah. It's like you bring this person <laughs> with you. I love it. Yes, she's she is. I mean. For me, she is that. She's like a friend. She's like all, all the roles that I, I play. I your always... invisible friend. Maybe you, yeah. made, you made these people your invisible friends because of when you were a child, you didn't have the friends because mm-hmm. you were interested in opera. Now all the big roles a are your bit. friends. That's very sweet. A little bit. Yeah, it's true. And I, I've i taken a part of my, myself um, and given them to these characters. So they're, yeah, they're, they're like my sisters a little bit. And I have two sisters. So I know, I know what that feels like. I know what those relationships feel like. So yeah, I'm bringing her with me to the Met. After that, the Metropolitan Opera is doing a completely new production of Lucia di Lammermoor. It's very modern, very modernized. And I don't think I've done a modern Lucia yet. No, I have not. So this will be interesting. I'm very interested in seeing what they what they come up with and and the creative process behind it all. Okay, so everyone listening, you've heard Nadine Sierra and you she is just made for opera. I'm sure you all agree. Uh, <laughs> Nadine, you are so beautiful on stage, inside and out and technically oh, and you're really the whole package and I've enjoyed talking to you so much and and your album is 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 a dream. And oh, thank uh you. yeah, I know it's it sounds like I'm gushing and I'm a fangirl, but that's because I am. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. I, I really appreciate your time. And, and of course, I appreciate your interest in talking about the album. It means a lot to me. Well, thank, thank you. you. And also for the listeners, they can look at the, the photo that we are about to do so you can see where Nadine is talking to me from. <laughs> and you can be as, yes. jealous, as jealous as I am. And also, if you enjoyed this podcast with Nadine and would like to hear more episodes with more fabulous guests, past or future, then you can subscribe to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series wherever you listen to your podcast from. And now you can rate us on Spotify and iTunes. So Nadine, get over there, please, to Spotify and iTunes and rate the Deutsche Grammophon Podcast. That's your that's your homework for today, apart from enjoying that beautiful weather. Yes, I shall do it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on this podcast. And thank you to all you for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.